Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. The great English philosopher Isaiah Berlin wrote, All Jews who are at all conscious of their identity as Jews are steeped in history. They have longer memories. They are aware of a longer continuity as a community than any other which has survived. He was right. Judaism is a religion of memory. The verb zahor, remember, appears no fewer than 169 times in the Hebrew Bible. Remember that you were strangers in Egypt. Remember the days of old. Remember the seventh day to keep it holy. Memory for Jews is a religious obligation. Some events were considered so significant that Jewish tradition tells us that God commanded us to remember them forever. Building on the Midrash, that collection of Jewish fables, the teaching of Ariziel, one of the founders of Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, and others, the Alter Rabbi, Rabbi Schneer Zalman of Lydai, the founder of Chabad Hasidism, codified six such events into his six remembrances. And many of his followers, Chabad Hasidic Jews, have the custom to recite these verses every day after morning prayers. They are, in no particular order, the Exodus from Egypt, which in Deuteronomy 16.3 reads, so that you shall remember the day when you went out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. The revelation of Sinai. But beware and watch yourself very well, lest you forget the things that your eyes saw, lest these things depart from your heart all the days of your life. And you shall make them known to your children and to your children's children, the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, from Deuteronomy 4, verses 9 through 10. In Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 through 19, we read, You shall remember what Amalek did to you on the way when you went out of Egypt, how he happened upon you on the way and cut off all the stragglers at your rear, when you were faint and weary and did not fear God, therefore it will be when the Lord your God grants you respite from all your enemies around you in the land which the Lord your God gives to you as an inheritance to possess. You shall obliterate the remembrance of Amalek from beneath the heavens. You shall not forget. From Deuteronomy 9, 7. Rebellion in the desert. Remember, do not forget how you angered the Lord your God in the desert. From the day you went out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebelling against the Lord. That's four of the six. The fifth one is regarding Miriam's negative speech and punishment that we read about in Numbers, the book of Numbers, but in Deuteronomy again, we are told, remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way when you went out of Egypt. 
And the sixth one is the most obvious one. Remember the Sabbath day to sanctify it, as found in Exodus 20, number 8. So while the founder of Chabad Hasidism listed six episodes, and I've already identified that the Torah uses the Hebrew word zahor 169 times, let me re- remind you of some of the other instances where the word memory plays a significant part. In Genesis 9, we read, when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow, referring to the rainbow, appears in the cloud, I will remember my covenant between me and you and every living creature among all flesh, so that the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. I've already mentioned Exodus 20, about the Shabbat, but let me remind you again how it reads in its totality. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. For in six days God made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is therein, and God rested on the seventh day. Therefore Adonai blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. I could list many, many other occurrences in the Torah and Jewish tradition. The act of remembering occurs throughout Judaism. Our calendar is full of remembrances from our past. The pinnacle, of course, is Passover. On Passover, we remember the time that we were freed at midnight. The consciousness we are told that each of us should feel as if we or that she were freed from slavery in Egypt. And even the menu, we remember to eat specific foods at the Seder meals. It should be apparent after all this that we Jews don't stop there. Content with our happy memories of past triumphs and prior journeys, our memories shape us and guide our mission to build a better world. Our memories of bondage should remind us to wipe out slavery and treat all people with dignity. Our memories of leaving the corners of our fields untouched should remind us to take care of the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, both within and without our community. Our memories of Amalek should remind us of our role to blot out evil in the world. Ours is an active existence. We do not live in a state of forgetfulness or forgottenness, but in a state of memory and consciousness that induces us to make the world a better place. By doing so, we help realize the founder of Hasidism, the Baal Shem Tob's words, in remembrance lies the secret of redemption. Now you ask yourself, why is Rabbi Garten speaking about remembrance? Why this time of year? I could speak about remembrance at any time of year. But the truth is that we are entering into a special period of three weeks. The three weeks, as it's called, between the 17th of the Hebrew month of Tammuz, a fast day that marks when the walls of Jerusalem were breached by the Romans in 69 CE, and these three weeks reach their climax and conclude with the fast of the 9th of Av, 
the date when both the first and second temple were set aflame. This is the saddest day of the Jewish calendar, and according to tradition, it is a date that many other tragedies have befallen our people. I'll have more to say about the ninth of Av in a moment. But this is, of course, about memory and our notion of what we remember and how we remember things. So I want to chat with you about these three weeks. As I've already said, memory is what motivates us at this time of year. We call it the three weeks leading up to the saddest day in the Jewish calendar, the ninth of Av, the anniversary of the destruction of the two temples, the first by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon in 586 BCE, and the second by Titus in 70 AD. Jews never forgot those tragedies. And to this day, on every wedding, we break a glass in their memory. And during these three weeks, we have no celebrations. On the ninth of Av itself, we spend the day fasting and sitting on the floor or low stools like mourners. Reading the Book of Lamentations, it is a day of profound collective grief. But as you would note, Two and a half thousand years is a long time to remember. Often I am asked, usually in connection with the Holocaust, is it really right to remember? Should there not be a moratorium on grief that emerges with memories? Are not most of the ethnic conflicts in the world fueled by memories of perceived injustices long ago? Would not the world be more peaceable if once in a while we forgot? Well, the answer, of course, in Jewish tradition is yes and no. It depends on how we remember. Three times in the book of Genesis, God is spoken of us as remembering. God remembered Noah and brought him out of the ark into a dry land God remembered Abraham and saved his nephew Lot from the destruction of the cities of the plain. And God remembered Rachel and gave her a child. When God remembers, he does so for the future and for the continuity of life. In fact, though the two are often confused, memory is different from history. History is someone else's story. It's about events that occurred long ago to someone else. But memory, memory is my personal story. It is about where I come from and of what narrative I impart. History tends to answer the question, what happened? Memory answers the questions, who am I? Then what am I? It is about identity, and the connection between the generations. In the case of collective memory, it all depends on how well we tell the story. Jewish tradition tells us we don't remember for the sake of revenge. Do not hate the Egyptians, said Moses, for you were strangers in their land. 
The Torah says, to be free, you have to let go of hate. Remember the past, says Moses, but not be held captive by it. Turn it into a blessing, not a curse, a source of hope, not humiliation. Well, those words should lead you to a different understanding of these three weeks. And I want to chat with you about the three weeks and about the non-thavav, and I want to share with you, hopefully time allows, a story which is used to explain why these days are so important. The three weeks, or in Hebrew, Bein HaMitzarim, between the dire straits, is, as I've already said, a period of mourning commemorating the destruction of the first and second temples. The three weeks begin on the 17th day of the Jewish month of Tammuz and is observed with the fast of Shiva Asar Tamiz, Tammuz, the fast of the 17th day, and ends on the ninth day of the Jewish month of Av, the fast of Tisha B'Av, which occurs exactly three weeks later. And as you may remember from previous podcasts, these events vary with regard to the secular calendar as the Hebrew calendar moves each year from month to month. Both of these facts commemorate the events surrounding the destruction of the Jewish temples and the subsequent exile of the Jews from the land of Israel, an important consideration. According to conventional chronology, the destruction of the first temple by Nebuchadnezzar II occurred in 586 BCE, and the second by the Romans in 70 CE. Jewish chronology, however, traditionally places the first destruction about 421 BCE, but usually that is understood to be more of a religious counting, not a uh, conventional chronology. The morning observances during the three weeks are divided into four levels, increasing in intensity. From the 17th of Tammuz until the end of Tammuz, from Rosh Chodesh Av, that means the beginning of Av, until the week in which the ninth of Av falls, the week in which Tisha B'Av falls until the eighth of Av, and the ninth of Av itself. Standard Ashkenazic custom, the customs of those who come from Eastern Europe, um, restricts the extent to which one may take a haircut, shave, or listen to music, though many communities and individuals vary their level of observance of these customs. More liberal traditions observe it primarily with special services on Tisha B'Av. No Jewish marriages or other major celebrations are allowed during the three weeks, since the joy of such an event would conflict with the expected mood of mourning during this time. Many Orthodox Jews refrain from eating meat during the nine days from the first month of Av until midday of the day after the fast of the ninth of Av, based on the tradition that the temple burned during all those days. The three weeks are considered historically a time of misfortune, 
Since many tragedies and calamities which befell the Jewish people are attributed to this period. According to tradition, the tragedies include the breaking of the tablets of the law of Moses when he saw the people worshiping the golden calf, the burning of a Sefer Torah by Apostomus during the Second Temple Era, the destruction of both temples on Tisha B'Av, the expulsion of Jews from Spain shortly before Tisha B'Av 1492, the outbreak of World War I shortly before Tisha B'Av 1914, which overturned many Jewish communities. As a result, some Jews are particularly careful to avoid all dangerous situations during the three weeks. These include going to dangerous places, striking a child or student, undergoing a major operation that could be postponed until after Tisha B'Av, going on an airplane flight that could be postponed until after Tisha B'Av. All of these might be considered superstitions, but they are part of the notion of memory of creating opportunities for personalized memory rather than just reflective collective memory. The first source for a special status of the three weeks, which is also the oldest extent reference to these days as Ben HaMetzarim, is found in Echa Rabati, which is translated as Lamentations Rabbah in the 4th century. This collection of Midrash glosses on Lamentation 1-3, which reads, All Zion's pursuers overtook her between the straits, interpreting the word straits, mitzarim, as days of distress and interpreting the phrase between the straits as the 17th of Tammuz and the 9th of Av. That homiletic interpretation from a 4th century Midrash is the first mentioning of the special time of these three weeks. Rabbi Isaac Tyronow, who lived in the late 14th and early 15th century, wrote in his book Minagim, a record of Austrian customs, that haircuts were not taken and weddings are not celebrated this three weeks. His opinion was cited as Jewish law by Moses Isserles in his gloss on the Shulchan Aruch, which is the foundation for most of current Ashkenazic practice. By nearly universal custom, special haftarot, Passages from the prophets are read in the synagogue on each Saturday of the three weeks. Whereas most Haftarot of the yearly cycle, passages from the prophets, are selections reflecting the theme of the day's Torah portions, these three are known as three of affliction and do not directly relate to the weekly Torah portions, but instead contain certain prophecies of Jeremiah and Isaiah, foreshadowing the fall of Jerusalem. The nine Haftarot of the eight weeks following Tisha B'Av, likewise, were selected for their content. They are called the Seven of Consolation, Sheva de Nechemta, followed by the Two of Repentance, 
which two appropriately fall between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. One is read on Saturday like the other special Haftarot, but the other is read on the fast of Gedalia just before Yom Rosh Hashanah. This t- custom of 12 consecutive special Haftarot is first noted in Pesikta Darav Kahana in the 5th century, but it is not mentioned in the Talmud. Pesikta Darav Kahana designates the appropriate 12 selections from the prophets and notes that they are Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah chapter 2, and Isaiah chapter 1. The great majority of congregations, whether they're Reform, Orthodox, or Conservative, or non-denominational, use the Haftarot, suggested by Pesikta Durav Kahana. Now, as you hear from this overview, the nine days of Av, beginning with the first of Av and leading to the ninth of Av, are the most intense part of the three weeks. The Talmud says, when the month of Av begins, we reduce our joy. The nine days inaugurates an even greater level of communal and personal mourning in recognition, as I've already indicated, of the many tragedies and calamities that befell the Jewish people at that time. Rather than view the three weeks and the nine days as a time of punishment and self-mortification, some Jewish teachings see them as an opportunity for introspection, repentance, and a closer relationship with God. The Talmud states that all who mourn the destruction of Jerusalem will merit to rejoice in its rebuilding. The rabbinic sages also teach that the Jewish Messiah will be born on Tisha B'Av. It is that promise of redemption which nevertheless makes this period one of hope and anticipation in Judaism rather than simply a period of mourning. I have shared with you this morning some of the significant aspects of these three weeks. But I want to share with you a story that is told in the Talmud and that serves as an interesting uh, reminder of why these uh, days are to be remembered. As you recall from my chat this morning, this is about remembering the destruction of the temple. Jewish tradition acknowledges that the temple in 586 BCE was destroyed by the Babylonians, and that later the second temple was destroyed by the Romans. But here's how the Talmud understands why they were destroyed. Talmud. Gittin 5556. Because of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa, Jerusalem was destroyed. It happened this way, a story is told. A certain man had a friend named Kamsa and an enemy called Bar Kamsa. He once made a party and said to his servant, Go and bring Kamsa to the party. 
the man went and brought Barkamsa. When the man who gave the party found Barkamsa there, he said, See, you are my enemy. What are you doing here? Get out. Barkamsa said, Since I'm already here, let me stay and I will pay you for whatever I eat and drink. Said the host, Absolutely not. Then let you, me give you half the cost of the party and allow me to stay. The host refused. Then let me pay for the whole party, said Barkamsa. Still the host refused and took him by the hand and threw them out. Said Barkamsa, since the rabbis were sitting there and did not stop him, this shows that they agreed with him, and I will go and inform against them to the government. He went and said to the emperor, the Jews are rebelling against you. Said the emperor, how can I know that this is true? Send them an offering, said Barkamsa, and see whether they will offer it on the altar. So he sent with him a fine calf. While on the way, he made a blemish on the calf's upper lip. In a, in a place where we count it blemish, but they, meaning the Romans, did not. The rabbis were inclined to offer it in order not to offend the Roman government. Said Rabbi Zechariah ben Avikulas, people will say the blemished animals are offered on the altar, and therefore we cannot do this. They then proposed to kill Barkamsa, so said he should not go and inform against them. But Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkula said to them, Is one who makes a blessing on consecrated animals to be put to death? Rabbi Yochanan thereupon remarked, Because of the scrupulousness of our rabbis, our house has been destroyed, our temple burnt, and we ourselves exiled from our land. Clearly, the rabbis of the temple, of the Talmud, thought that the Jews, by their behavior of not learning to live together with themselves, had caused the destruction of the temple. Some other stories that Jews have created to be impactful upon their own memory the emperor dispatched Nero the Caesar against the Jews. As he was coming, he shot an arrow towards the east, and it fell in Jerusalem. He then shot one towards the west, and it again fell in Jerusalem. He shot toward all points of the compass, and each time it fell in Jerusalem. He said to me, to a certain boy, repeat to me the verse of scripture you have learned. The child quoted, I will lay my vengeance upon Edom by the hand of my people Israel from Ezekiel 2. Said Nero, God desires to lay waste his house and to lay blame on me. So he ran away and converted to Judaism. And Rabbi Meir was descended from him. The emperor then dispatched Vespasian, the Caesar, who came and besieged Jerusalem for three years. These three weeks lead Jews to a whole host of memories. They lead us to a memory of the past, they lead us to a memory of more current events, and they lead us to remember that perhaps we have not been innocent in bringing upon ourselves the tragedies that have befallen us, and that we are to remember the tragedies and the causes for the tragedies equally. 
for Jewish faith and Jewish facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, wishing you a good day and shalom. Shalom, 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 Shalom,